leaving college is a big change for everyone. I think no one really knows what to expect. You have to be careful getting yourself into a mental trap. Just because I'm doing a job today that I have somehow defined my entire path to the future. When they have a hundred pictures in a room after and they're all talking, they will fight for you over anyone. Taking that insatiable appetite and tying it with what you're really good with. Did you want to be a CEO when you were a kid, or did that kind of just happen? It never occurred to me to be a CEO when I was a kid. If a student could articulate that, employers may pass out. Welcome back to Practical Passionate. Today, we're diving into owning your personal finances. The talks of credit scores, student loans, 401k, and everything else that's a buzzword will soon be unpacked and understood thanks to our special guest, Leslie Chen Young. Leslie's a current associate at LinkedIn with the objective to develop future business leaders. She's also a recent graduate from Duke University and has even been selected as one of 350 for an 18-month professional development program for high-achieving diverse talent through Management Leadership for Tomorrow. As someone who's owned her brand, she's already been the go-to lead for teaching and coaching recently hired associates within LinkedIn to teach her cohorts about their finances and has helped hundreds of students navigate this world with ease. All right, so let's get the show on the road. Super, super, super excited to have you on the podcast today. I think as for myself, as well as Alex, two guys who are very scared to look at their bank, bank accounts after going out for a weekend, the topic <laughs> of uh, personal finance is something that we're scared, but is going to push us outside of our comfort zone as well as the comfort zone of our listeners. And for somebody who didn't dabble in, in the world of finances, you're coming into this, you have an interest in studying it. I mean, give us your take of what got you into it in the first place. Yeah, absolutely. So I think you hit the nail on the head in multiple ways. Um, first off, that personal finances are a little bit scary and overwhelming. And secondly, that I am not, you know, in the finance industry in any way, shape, or form. Um, and I think it's actually been a huge asset to me when I've started to personally try to get over, get over that fear and start learning about what it means to really be the captain of my own ship and drive my personal finances to create the life that I want. So for that reason, coming from a very unconventional background, I just started digging. I mean, I'm the kind of person who, if there's any rabbit hole, I'm going down it and I'm ready to learn and, and trying to figure out new ways to be smarter and faster and more efficient with my money. And along the way, I realized that a lot of my friends and my network were coming up to me and saying, hey, Russell, can you teach me about this? Can, can you sit down for 10 minutes, talk about my budget? Can you take Tell me about 401ks. And I realized that there was a sincere need, and I also love to talk to people about personal finances, specifically coming from this um, non-traditional background, because the fact of the matter is, it doesn't matter if you're on Wall Street or if you're in Teach for America. Uh, you've got to deal with your finances, and we'd all like this to be in the best way, the most easy way, and also the most fruitful way possible. So that's a little bit about my background, um, why I care about this, and hopefully for the listeners that are tuning in today, uh, you'll get something out of it that you've never heard before. Perfect. You sound just the person that I should be talking to then, because uh, I work in the tech industry. <laughs> totally finance ignorant here. Let's start off then. Credit score, what is it? How is it calculated? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, great question, one that a lot of people obsess over. And honestly, it is a very, very small snapshot of a much bigger thing, which is your credit report. So to sum that up, your credit score is one small number that actually is a reflection of a lot of different data points in your credit, credit report. 
your credit score basically measured how good of a borrower are you. If I lend you 10 bucks, am I sure, what's my confidence rating that I'm going to get that back? So over time and over multiple transactions from multiple different lenders like banks with credit cards or even student loans, your credit report will build up and that will compile into a credit score. Perfect. Okay, so where can I check my credit score? Yeah, um, credit score is readily available to you in two main ways. Number one is through banking institutions, like specifically your bank that you have the credit card with, or even apps like Mint, which I personally use. Uh, you also, and everyone, is entitled to a free credit report that will report that gives you all the data points that com compile to your credit score. You're entitled to a free credit report from each of the credit reporting bureaus once per year, and there are three of them. So technically, you could get a full credit report about once every four months if you want to do. How can I get that score up quickly? If you revisit that idea of what the credit score is, it's a measure of how great of a borrower you are. So if you want to get that score up quickly, you want to show that you are responsible with borrowing money. So if you want to get that quickly, some ways to do that are, number one, pay down your balances. If you have any outstanding balances on any of your credit cards or even some loans, try to pay those down as much as possible as opposed to just paying the minimum. That will help your credit lenders know that you are able to pay that back in full and make a habit of trying to pay it back in full every single time as opposed to just paying the minimum balance. So I'm uh, currently setting up auto pay as we speak, so I don't <laughs> miss another uh, another <laughs> late payment. So many like those final notices in my inbox. It's kind of scary at times. I don't know why I was so bad with it early on, um, but a lot mm -hmm. better now to all the creditors that are listening. So I guess to transition quickly and get myself away from this topic into another bigger, scarier <laughs> hole, uh, student loans. I mean, what is yes. it? I've heard people talk about consolidating your loans. What is it? What does it mean? I've done the research, but I, I don't understand it. Can you, can you break that down for us? Yeah, for sure. So student loan consolidation is exactly as it sounds. You're taking multiple loans and consolidating them into one loan. Now, there are a couple different upsides and a couple downsides to doing this. And the first upside is quite simply simplicity. If you have five or six student loans that you're trying to keep track of, keeping track of your due dates and your minimums all at once, it may be really difficult to navigate that logistically. So consolidating the loan can make it easier for you to realize when you need to pay off your debt and do that in a really simplistic way. Um, the one downside is that you could potentially get higher rates depending on your current interest rates and loan amounts. So it's really important for you to take an individual approach when looking at your student loans and looking at what interest rates you currently have and which ones you would qualify for with your current credit score to be able to decide if consolidation is right for you. So now going towards the repayment options, you mentioned like higher rates and things like that. Mm -hmm. I mean, how do I determine what the best method is for me to start paying the loans? I fear there are very various repayment options. Right, right. Um, quite honestly, the best method for repaying those loans is empower yourself with information. Uh, I know those loans are super scary, especially looking at the balances. And I'm thinking about the fact that it makes a couple of years to pay down. But in actuality, to, in order to choose the best repayment option, you have to know the ins and outs of that loan. That includes knowing the interest rate, knowing the total balance, and also knowing if there are any grace periods. One strategy with loan repayment is to utilize your grace period as much as possible. So, for example, if I just graduated from undergrad and 
May, I may have a loan grace period for six months. So up until six months from May, I can make sure I'm saving up enough to build an infrastructure where I can pay off those loans aggressively when my grace period ends. When it comes to loan forgiveness, um, there are a couple different options there. And of course, most of those forgiveness options are based on your occupation. So for example, nurses, teachers, even lawyers and public service people have different loan repayment options that are specific to them. We've also heard that, you know, a lot of executives, when you're when you're talking to them, it comes down to the idea of financial freedom. And it's like making money while you sleep. And supplemented with that advice is that you're investing in stocks and bond, and that's commonly thrown out there. What does it mean to invest in stocks as opposed to investing in a bond? Yeah, great question. And also great to know that um, this sentiment is super true. Most of those that have found a lot of luck in building wealth and maintaining that wealth make their money work for them. So stocks and bonds are two of the most popular ways to try to use your money to make more money. And simply put, stocks are buying stake or buying stock in, in a specific company. Primary way to make money from stocks is through dividends. You can also make money through stocks by that stock price either increasing or decreasing and deciding to sell or repurchase your stock in a company at, at a given time. A bond is a little bit different though. It can actually be viewed as the opposite of stock. A bond is basically an IOU. It's saying that I will lend you a certain amount of money and when you pay it back, I expect you to pay it back with a certain amount of interest. So while you can make money with both stocks and bonds, actually each of them behave very differently depending on what the market looks like. Okay, good breakdown there. Those are two of obviously the well-known investment you know, strategies, where to put your money if you've got some extra on the side. For our generation, the younger generations, and I please by no means feel the need to pitch cryptocurrencies here. I think we're all sick of hearing about those. <laughs> um, what, what are some other places? I mean, I have some friends who are now getting into investing in real estate when they move out. Uh, you know, They're buying a townhouse. What is your advice for other areas that we can put our money in right now, I guess? Do you, I mean, do you know Do you know of any other ones? Yeah, um, and I'll kind of uh, preface what I'm going to say with a word of caution. And that is that everybody and your mom wants to give you advice on what to invest in. So my number one piece of advice when deciding what to invest in, whether it is cryptos or a certain stock or a mutual fund ETF, both of which are, you know, collections of different financial assets you can invest in. Uh, my number one piece of advice is to always understand and believe in the asset you're buying or believe in the financial um, financial instrument that you're using to, in order to try to make money. I think a lot of young professionals run to run into roadblocks when they don't quite understand what they're doing and they think they need to follow this big, huge wave of, oh, everyone's investing in real estate companies, so I should focus on this. Everyone's investing in tech companies, so I should focus on this. Uh, when you think about it, investments are really about um, something, an asset, increasing in value over time. And what exactly does that value mean? It, the value, honestly, is how much belief that people have in it. So, for example, one of the reasons why companies like Apple have done so well, especially in the stock market, is because they've been able to deliver to their customers. And they've also created this amazing brand around their products that makes makes people look at Apple as an industry leader and makes them believe in them as a brand. 
companies. So while I'm not going to be the person to specifically say, uh, you should go buy Microsoft stock or you should go invest in real estate, uh, the number one thing I will say is when you do hear about something that you want to invest in, do that background research because nine times out of ten, the advice that you're getting has just been circulated and, and you never really know what the quality is there. You mentioned big companies like Apple and Microsoft, and you hear now one of their benefits package, including stock options as a way to kind of lure the mm-hmm. candidates in. But they also oftentimes come with the fact that they have different vesting schedules, whatever that means. So like, what does it mean when, <laughs> when you know, they say that a stock is vested? Yeah. So stock options are one of the ways that companies, especially larger companies, try to incentivize new hires to stay with the firm for for as long as possible. And one of the ways they do this is through stock options that have a vesting schedule. So what vesting means is basically a transfer of ownership. For example, if I were to Apple and I were under a stock option that included a vesting period, when I started my employment, Apple would say, we set aside this amount of stock for you, Leslie, but we currently still own it. And as a reward for staying with us for a longer long, and longer period of time, each quarter, we will vest part of that stock, which means each quarter, we will transfer part of the ownership of that stock to you. So ultimately, when all of that stock is vested, the ownership will have transferred from Apple completely over to me. But in the meantime, if I decide to quit my job after a year and only 25% of my stock has been vested, I only get to enjoy 25% of the stock ownership that Apple promised me when I started working. So the timeline there, it's a little bit, I guess, drawn out than your individual bi-weekly paychecks. And those bi-weekly paychecks sometimes are also within their packages come with a 401k match um, that companies often talk about. So first, what is a 401k? (laughs) A 401k is actually not, you know, $401,000. 401k is a type of account, is a type of investment account, and it's specifically uh, for retirement. So then are those within the same umbrella as an IRA? Yeah, so an ROA... Oh, I'm losing my words here. So an IRA is another type of retirement account. Both the 401k and the IRA are types of investment accounts that are specifically geared towards retirement. And the way they do that is they have rules in place that allow you to only withdraw from them at certain ages, typically upwards of age 50, unless you know, you want to withdraw earlier and then knowing person kind of penalties. All right. To uh, tie up some loose ends here in terms of some buzzwords we hear a lot. Do you mind running over compound interest and rule 72 for me? Definitely. So compound interest is the idea that your interest, so the money that you can earn um, on any kind of investment, that will actually multiply over year over year. So let me give an example because sometimes that phrase is a little bit difficult to understand. Uh, let's say you start off with uh, $10 and you know that you'll have interest of 10% on that $10. 10% of 10 is 1. So after a year, that $10 will turn into $11. 
Now, the interest will continue to compound year over year because in the second year, you're know, you starting with $11. You still have that 10% interest. So 10% of 11 is $1.10. Now, that $11 will turn into $12.10 going into year three. You can see very quickly how what you initially started off with, $10, is going at a rate of 10% each year. But because each year that $10, the initial amount is increasing, the interest has been compounded and accelerates the growth of the money that you have. Uh, to answer your second question about the Rule of 72, the Rule of 72 is a very simply a shortcut to understanding how many years it requires to double an investment. So typically, they say that the years required to double an investment is the number 72 divided by the compound annual interest rate. So let's say that we have that compound annual interest rate of 10%, like we were just talking about. 72 divided by 10 is 7.2. So in this example, it would take my money 7.2 years to double at a 10% interest rate. Yeah, that was the first math lesson I've had, I think, since college. <laughs> appreciate, the simple, appreciate the simplicity in that. Uh, last, I guess, one of the final questions here. You mentioned Mint earlier as an application that you like to use. What are some other applications mm -hmm. besides, I guess, what is Mint, first of all? And what are you know one or two other applications that a listener could download right now to start improving their finances? Yeah, so Mint is a personal finance app that is centered around budgeting, spend, spending tracking, and also keeping all the assignments into one place. Quite simply, it takes together all your different financial accounts. So, for example, if you have an account with Citibank and Bank of America and Fidelity, you'll be able to see all those accounts in one snapshot. You're also able to pay bills through Mint um, and see your credit score through Mint, which is an added bonus. I really like it because it's backed by a great company called Intuit. And I personally use it for my personal finances. Some other apps you can look into, um, some of my favorites are robo-advisors. So these are examples of apps and even online websites you can go to to start investing, even if you don't have a lot of background or confidence in investing. Robo-advisors take algorithms about what your current life status is and what your life goals are. And they also will take in a monthly or sometimes yearly um, deposit from your bank account, and then they'll automatically invest it for you. So between Mint and RoboAdvisors, I think some of the best RoboAdvisors are Betterment, Wealthfront, and Elvest. Uh, between those two, there's some great starting points and certainly a world of options beyond that as well. Awesome. Sounds great. And I think to, to wrap it up here, you mentioned earlier that a lot of people came to you for advice. They were like, Leslie, you got to help me out here with, with all your knowledge. <laughs> I mean, do you have any stories that you've extracted from working with you know, individuals that are 18, 24, young professionals, where they've gone from knowing that a 401k does not mean 400,000 to them kind of managing <laughs> their personal finances and tracking every penny that comes in and every penny that comes out? Definitely. And, and one of one of my favorite stories actually happened just recently. Uh, a client of mine came in with absolutely no background in personal finance, but realized that she wanted to better be able to plan for traveling, uh, which was really important to her in the short term and medium term and long term. 
so uh, we broke down kind of her her approach to budgeting and spending, which are definitely not it's not sexy at all, but it really is the backbone of good financial um, good financial practices and habits. And realized that she had a lot of credits, um, a lot of credit cards open at retail places. So those are your Gap credit cards, your Forever Twenty One credit cards, all that great stuff. Um, and because she's actually purchasing her travel through those credit cards, she's having a lot of issues being able to pay it back, especially at high interest rates. Uh, well, what we were able to do is actually scale back some of those retail cards, which I personally think are a little bit dangerous to be in, especially our age. Be able to scale back on those cards, uh, devote a lot of her um, income and paychecks in, in a really short number of months to paying off those cards in full. And then we started an emergency fund. And at first glance, this might sound like, well, Leslie, did you solve her problem? I mean, she wants to travel. It sounds like you, you know, took away the means for her to be able to travel. And actually, the, the opposite happened. Uh, when, when that idea of using credit to be able to fund these things that are really important to her, we broke that down and realized that, you know, credit is good, but only if you have the money to pay it off. She had a much clearer view of what she needed to do to make all the trips, all the about 12 trips she wanted to happen this year, happen. And through creating that emergency fund, she felt like she had the power uh, and confidence to say, I'm going to prioritize which trip is most important to me. I'm going to look for creative ways to make each trip more affordable and in the process make it, make it a lot more fun. So I love that example because not only did we address credit, um, Retail cards and more more effective more effective approaches to using credit and spending. That she also was able to create this emergency fund, which then started to be able to fund a lot of the trips that she wanted to get to. And uh, and now she's even out on a trip this weekend and feels the weight of you know the burden of credit debt um, completely lifted off her shoulders, which I think is the best thing I could ever do for anyone. Debt-free, getting to travel, sounds like there is some good in understanding uh, personal finances. So a little bit less apprehensive on our end come, uh, what, Monday morning, Sunday nights, when we're getting those Sunday scaries and we got to look at our bank accounts. So really appreciate you coming on and, and giving our listeners a quick crash course uh, on everything as far as credit scores, student loans, and coming into this and figuring out, hey, how can I kind of best maximize that I'm that everything that I'm getting from my employer. So thank you, Leslie, for everything that you've given us uh, in these short, quick 20 minutes. Yeah, I just add in there, I love Rashav's new favorite catchphrase is Sunday Scaries. <laughs> it's so <laughs> funny, he's going to be all over the place now. But no, no seriously, thank you. Um, and we'll definitely add a link to your you as a resource on our website as well, in case people want to get in contact with you and need that extra help with finances. So thank you so much for coming on today uh, and teaching myself, Rashav, and our listeners about finances. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, guys. Leslie talking about the lack of guilt there when you're spending money was definitely hitting home with me. I had Chick-fil-A Friday night and knowing that I'm not in control of my finances when I pay for that, I inherently feel guilt from that decision. Being able to spend money on things and not feel guilty about it would be huge, I think. I'm going to lay out my green, my red on an Excel sheet, start making those long-term decisions of I want to travel X amount of times throughout the year and Here's how much money I can actually spend on that without you know feeling guilty. Also, 
Another thing was <laughs> I need to finally get a credit card. It's been hard because I don't, I'm not someone who spends money they don't have, but I guess when it comes to those bigger purchases, I'm going to need a line of credit, you know, buying a house, whatever. Still would never buy a car brand new. As soon as you drive those things off the lot, they lose a couple thousand, but I guess I've also had the luxury of an in-house mechanic since my dad used to be a mechanic for over 10 years. I don't know, that's just my take. Rashad, what's your take? Kind of butthurt that you saved so much money on oil changes. But um, with, you know, I mean, personally for me, man, like I've got a decent amount of student debt that I've got to start repaying now. So to hear her break down the concept of consolidating those loans and actually provide the advantages as well as the disadvantages to it was honestly awesome. I was taking notes as she was talking and it's something I'll be studying intently for this coming week to kind of figure out my grace period and any other ways I can maximize paying those guys as quickly as possible. For you guys listening this week, a quick homework, go ahead and figure out your credit scores. First step to kind of improving something is just simply knowing it. So just go online. It's really easy to find and make sure you know that number. Yeah, I'm going to check mine. I know Leslie definitely gave us a couple options there on how to find it. My homework there is go ahead and make that Excel sheet document however you want to document it but know your green your red know what you know your in your cash inflow your cash outflow because this way the next time when you, you know you go to at least for me next time in the chick-fil-a drive-through line i'm not going to feel guilty about spending that money although maybe i guess i won't be in the chick-fil-a uh, line because i'm saving my money for something bigger now that i'm actually budgeting if you want to know how i'm doing it reach out to me i'd love to share my template with you or whatever but uh, let's go ahead and do that if this has left you wanting more visit us at practicallypassionate.com We've got our guests up there along with links to reach out to them and a place to reach us directly to suggest a topic or ask a question. Either way, we're here to help you on your journey. Again, that's practicallypassionate.com. Thanks for listening in. This is Alex. And this is Rashad. 